but we found out that there is some approval when you take certain positions disregarding the, the humanness of your neighbor. We have relabeled each other. You are my neighbor and my friend as long as you agree with me. We crossed the line and says, you do not value your neighbor because your neighbor is now your enemy. We don't know what to do with that. Hello and welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast all about living lives that unleash courageous love in small and big ways. I'm Reverend Sean, one of your hosts, and today on the podcast, we're joined by Pastor David Williams. David is the lead pastor of Abyssinian Christian Church in Fort Collins. David is a leader, not only in the interfaith community in Northern Colorado, but over his 33 years of pastoring, has become a leader in the black church and in the African-American community. The conversation that Gretchen and him have touches on the grief the pandemic has created, the polarization that our current politics has unearthed, the way in which you're no longer my friend, you're no longer my neighbor, you're no longer my kin if we don't agree with one another, and the place of the church, the unique way the church is calling us to love our enemy. This is deep within our universalist faith is this conviction that every time we draw a line that would divide humankind one from another, the saved and the damned, the right and the wrong. Every time we make these divisions, we cut ourselves off from truth and the power of community and the reality of this world, which is that every person is beloved, every person has a piece of the truth, and that we're all in this life together. We can't be all in this life together if we are cutting ourselves off from a whole community of people saying they're not worthy, that we don't want to be in this life with them. And yet living with other people is incredibly frustrating. It's one of the parts that David talked about is how he's been pastoring his community that has been in the last few years struggling with more interpersonal challenges than ever before. It's difficult being human. And we're sort of surprised over and over again. Surprised that we're stuck in the same struggles that other people have been in. Surprised that we aren't different, that we haven't transcended our humanity. Anyways, it's it's an amazing conversation. All right, I'm going to invite Reverend Gretchen Haley to introduce David, and then we're going to dive into that conversation. Reverend David Williams, the lead pastor at the Abyssinian Christian Church. David is a, a leading voice in our community, a prophetic voice, a pastoral voice, a voice of care and comfort and challenge. I know him from all sorts of vigils and community events that we have spoken at together. I'm always inspired and fortified by his word. I, we also have had the chance to serve together on a local task force around policing. I consider David to be a great leader in our community and a great teacher. But in this conversation, I, I really heard his wisdom as a pastor for his congregation and the way that he as an elder is trying to figure out how to lead at this stage of his life, given the state of the world. It's a question and a struggle that many of us relate with. Let's listen. Welcome. Thank you for sitting down with me and joining us for this conversation. It's good to be with you. So we are in this series where we are exploring these themes of rage, grief, and goodness. When you hear these three things, these three feelings, what comes up for you? Or where, where does that land for you? And 
What do you, what is your first response? Um, well, Gretchen, right off the bat, I think the word that caught me uh, was the word grief. I believe we've been in grief for several months and maybe the last couple of years. And we didn't know what we were experiencing because we couldn't put a finger on it. But, but grief is that emotion that we often don't rightly are able to identify. I, I just gravitated toward that word that we're still in grief of all the major changes, a pandemic, you know, justice issues, government issues. We've just been in a myriad of e e emotional um, upheaval. And I too have been there. And then I moved toward the, the, the word of rage. You know, how long will, will we have to try to make our way through all the questions and all of the ugly things and expressions and feelings that we are going through and to even to be in a world or a country, just say a country that can't seem to see the value of the humanity of the total body. You know, that, that just has just brought me to even more rage. If I just go ahead and use the word that, what's it going to take for us to see the value in our neighbor? I always tell myself, I, 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 I try to peddle that to people every Sunday when I'm in the pulpit about the inherent goodness of people and that there are people who are striving to, to make a difference. Pre-pandemic, I think we were all on just a rhythm of life. You know, you were just, you did your routines. Your routines had worked for you. Uh, not to say that everything was well and everything was perfect, but I, I, I think, um, you know, that that was expected was expected. So there wasn't a whole lot of great surprises. But by time we moved into um, the, er the early 20s and the pandemic really started to raise its head, but we are also confronted by the George Floyd situations. It threw us out of our, our normal way of examining life. And we haven't come back yet. As much as we want to, we haven't found our equilibrium. And that's frustrating that the crap out of people, excuse the wording, but people are frustrated that they can't grab their lives back to control. And so, and, and, and for some, for some who, who have already been, bore huge amounts of, of inconsistencies, be they racial or economic or medical, this was just a compound to it, you know? So it just, it just ratcheted you up to what's next because we thought we had, in my community, we thought we had already hit the top of the mountain. Well, we found out that there were a couple of more levels to the floor. People are just trying to deal with this uncertainty at, at a level that they've never had to before. Our grief has been compounded because of the loss of so many brothers and sisters, cousins, aunts, mothers, because of the effect of this, this pandemic. 
we've lost people though, even though they were not in our immediate church, but our families are interconnected. So when somebody, we lose somebody's mother, that's, you might as well have been a mother in our church. Francis Waller, she talks about the idea of making a, an apprenticeship with sorrow. And mm. like it, like you learn it as your companion that is your life teacher. Yes. And so what I hear and what you're describing is your community has been learning a lot of lessons these days. And <laughs> we all are that we're, we're in a deep mode of learning. Yes. And learning is actually awful in a lot of ways. Yes. It's deeply uncomfortable. It, it is, it is the equilibrium that you're wanting is the people you're describing is not accessible. If you're going to learn, you can't have equilibrium. I was wondering if you're finding ways to help people or if you have found ways to help people to embrace the learning, how do we move out of um, resistance, devastation, whatever tools we have for compartmentalizing, avoidance, maladaptive behaviors into learning? This period of time have challenged me also to um, to speak into people's lives from from my pulpit, from where people are, and and I, and I say that not as if I wasn't doing that, but a lot of times in church, people get this this storyline that those who follow uh, the life of Christ or the life of our our, our, our Creator your world is perfect. And so all of our songs talk this perfect language. You know, it talk about, you know, the great celebration, you know, the, you know, the great something. <laughs> and I'm constantly, they probably says, he's the most anti, you know, Christian man I've ever seen because I'm going, that's not life. Life, life is not one big party. And, and the day and time that we're in I think it, it is more important to give people tools to survive or to at least be able to somehow analyze the world that they're in and make sense as best as they can. And when they can't, and, and I have to tell them that there are times when I don't make sense of, of my today's reality, to, just our conversation earlier. I can't make sense of that. That just is off my scale. But, but I'm still called to be a part of this human life. We as a people find strength in one another to help make sense of, of, of that that is questionable or uncomfortable. But that has, been, that has been one of the major roles and the place of the church in, in African-Americans' life since we've had the church or access to the church that part of the tools for staying open to the lessons, to the learning, is knowing that it doesn't, this is life. This is life. So it's not like, well, we'll get to the other side of this and then I'll, I'll you know. No. We in this life to. that it is, that we learn how to help each other and be present with each other for these experiences but we're not like, it. we're not getting out of it. <laughs> no. and, and, and for some people, you know, they will come into your midst and that's not the storyline they want to hear. You know, they want, they want the magic potion. They want, hey, Reverend, give me something 
that will help me not feel what I feel? And my return answer is that's not life. You know, um, I have a question for you that I wasn't, I wasn't thinking I would want to talk to you about, but it really, as you're talking, it really comes to mind. My predecessor in at Foothills, he served um, for 23 years. How long have you been at your church? Third, this will be my 33rd year. Oh, David, bless you. So one of the things he told me as he was, as he was retiring was and pe people always talked about him as the hard part of it was the work you know how hard it was to pastor a church to show up in all the ways for all the people all the time many many years the things we all know about the work of ministry but he said that is not that that is not the thing that made him feel so eager to retire and ready to retire what the thing that was hard for him was the accumulation of loss and that church for him was an experience of accumulated loss. You come to love someone and either they die or they leave or they are mad or they're something. So what my question is for you, David, is how do you, in, in your 30 years, how have you managed that accumulated loss? Oh man, that is, that's a great question. I just, thank you for even framing that question because it, it is real. I don't think you arrive at how to handle it early because in your early years in your pastorate, you have this, this idea, I'm gonna do ministry different. I'm going to, you know, I've listened, I've learned, I've trained, I've read every book on keeping a healthy congregation. And so you go into the water pretty dry. But once in the water, that loss takes such a toll on you that you don't realize the depth of it until the water is very high in your life. And by that time, you're looking at, uh, I'm not drowning yet but it's scary because to invest in another life means to give up something in you. To invest in a community means to give up something from you. And every time you invest, you, the greatest reward is to see it restructure or reawaken in someone else or in, into a concept. And those are life-giving, but a lot of our lives is waving goodbye. And, and, and I tell people now, I had to play like I was okay with saying goodbye. Because if I didn't, I would be a less than leader. But every time someone leaves, a piece of me is ripped away. But there's something about that, that you, you say, that's a part of church too, that yes. we're learning that you love someone, as you say, like you invest in somebody and they're a part of you, mm -hmm. but you always have the risk. They're going to go whatever, yes. for whatever reason they're going to, that's always a part of what it means. You're investing. It's, what do you say about the, the water coming up? I think that's like, that's like love and life and, you know, it's you're in and, and suddenly you don't realize it, but like. Oh wow, I'm I'm in the water. I'm in the water. <laughs> it doesn't I, matter. I'm deep. 
right? And there's no protecting yourself at that point. You're just, no. you know, you're, and so you learn, you know, how that that's, that you move through that, that that is actually an opportunity of church too. Yes. I think, I think um, you hit it very well. It, it's, it's, it's sharing with people that loss is a part of life. And so I, I, what I want to, what I want to, I'm wondering about is that grief you're describing, how and where do you see it showing up as it connects back to that collective anger or rage that we see playing out culturally right now? Mm -hmm. And how are you seeing people's, this playing out in people's lives when, you know, how are you ministering to that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's showing in, in, in a myriad of ways. One, I watched, I, I watched the um, appearance of families. I watched how are families interacting? How are they getting along? I, I just see families even acting out greater than I have seen over periods of my ministry. Sadly, I've seen more divorces this this last two, three years at one time of people that I thought never would divorce, people that I thought had it all together. You know, I've watched the family dynamic really shake up that people are, 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 are shorter tempered or, or less likely to give the benefit of the doubt. There's this, this discord in family. So I'm called more often to, to, to mediate in situations like that. Pastor, will you listen? You know, we're just not, you know, I'm going, oh my God. But what you hear is, I think again, in people's grief, until you deal with some of, some of your true um, uh, root causes of your pain, you're, you're, you're masking it. And a lot of people have masked their, you know, if, if uh, their behaviors, their, their views of life, but there were really some turbulent things going on at home that they never dealt with. And so now to be laid off, to get, you know, it, it might, some of my people, to be laid off just complicates it. First, you know, we were arguing when both of us were working and, you know, we were good, but now we, we lost the house or we lost something of very high value. And, and that just gave opportunity to have more and more anger toward each other. And then the children, which I've had more conversation from children or not conversation with children, but, but Gretchen, I, I have been in uh, mediation court systems for families asking me about families. Then I'm going, how many of these do I have to sit in that people that I thought were somewhat healthy, they're just, unraveling they're just unraveling and so my my goal my, my what i'm trying to tell leaders is that what we are seeing what i'm seeing in the pew is not always what's really happening in the human psyche there are people who are struggling but they know how to come to church they know how to serve on a board but they don't know how to ask for help. I find myself not so much preaching as an old boy. I find myself really being a father 
or or a, a an uncle or a an old person who says, "Tell me what's really going on," and you just see tears. You just see tears just running. And this is men and women. So I, I, I guess I said all this to say what we are finding is that the church we're finding during this grieving time, this grief is so impactful that the church is really having to make a decision. How is it going to really serve its people for real right now? Not, not for how pretty can we make the sanctuary, but how are we really going to serve both inside the building and outside? So we're being called to task right now. Amen. So I want to talk specifically about Fort Collins, the city we live in. I don't know if you've been following at all the the various school board meetings around town. Uh, well, Loveland, Windsor, Fort Collins school board meetings, and the the rage. I would I would have to say rage that's on display there. As you think about our community the particular context that you and I serve in and lead in, in what ways do you see that those forces as particular to Fort Collins? You know, what, what's different about the way that rage or grief plays out here? You know, um, the first thing, the first word that comes to my mind with that question is surprise. You can, you can fool yourself into a narrative that we all get along. We are all good people. We all, we, we just love mowing the lawn together. We like living next door to each other. We go hiking together. Um, what I see in Fort Collins is people are surprised to hear some of the conversations and the words that are coming from, and I'll say it, a neighbor. And that is totally rocking this community because there, there, there was this, this idea that uh, we're not Denver. We are not Boulder. We are not Colorado Springs. And God forbid, we're not Chicago. We're not Los Angeles. All of the places that they are not, they found out they have roots here. And so even though you're not there, you have some of their ideologies, you have some of their philosophies, you have all of the trappings of what you said you did not have. So that, I mean, that's, that's how I have come to grips with what we are hearing and seeing. And when, you know, people are talking about these meetings and how people are speaking so, so uncomfortably to each other and the tensions that are there. I don't think this is new. I just, what I believe is people didn't know that they had a, a, a ramp to open that conversation, they could take to let it out. And in these last 
some years, I'll just say in these last two, three years, four years, five years, whatever, people have, have taken permissions that we ordinarily wouldn't have taken as a human society. But we found out that there is some approval when you take certain positions and you take them out loud, disregarding the, the humanness of your neighbor. And so we went ahead and crossed the line. We crossed the line and says, you do not value your neighbor because your neighbor has now become not your, is no longer your neighbor. Your neighbor is now your enemy. And so because we have relabeled each other, you are my neighbor and my friend as long as you agree with me. Point and simple. And, and we don't know what to do with that. We, Fort Collins doesn't know what to do with that. We thought we were just intelligent and smart, rich enough that we wouldn't deal with that. We could we can have a board meeting and get through it and be done. And so all of this has surprised us to because we are now parts of camps that says either you're for me or you're against me. There's nothing in between. And so that to me is is the is the new. Is, is the new is the new giant in our community. It is, we don't even, we have no idea how to talk to or to listen to our neighbor, he's no longer neighbor, our enemy. And so we're frustrated as heck that that would be in our community. And that's, that's number one for me is we're surprised. Secondly, we forgot uh, or, or this community now is experiencing some, some discomforts, just regular discomforts that it thought again, that it, it would not have to confront, be it political. We used to, I hate to say we used to, but you used to could, could vote across lines. You really vote in the integrity of a person. We don't vote in integrity anymore. We vote strictly by national partyism. We we vote strictly. I don't even know who's running for something, but he's one of my parties. That's the person, which is crazy to me. That means we have lost the ability of critical thinking. We've lost the ability to listen to someone else. We don't have the ability to say, in my opinion anymore, we only talk as if my words are total truth. And so that then will cause fracture in community. And so our community now is actually splitting because everybody is saying, I know what's best to the nth degree for us. And the other person is saying, no, I know what I have to do at church is to clean up that mess. That's what I'm clean. I'm the big janitor right now. And I'm still speaking about the humanity and the goodness of the human being of the spark of goodness in everyone. And people are still saying, but, but, but I'm going, no, we're not going to sink to that level of living in this community. And I am not about to tell people, you just accept everything, but we are not going to, to fight fire with fire. We're not going that route. But see, that's a whole new level for me. It's the level of why I follow the creator. It is, I, I, I'm trying to, 
to move people that now maybe some of this crazy stuff y'all heard me preach over 30 years about even loving your enemy, that this is what we're called to do in this moment. And so people are saying, but can't you give us a better sermon? Can't you give us something different? And I'm going, no, the, I can't allow you to teach your children to hate and make another generation of that. I won't and I, I can't do it. But I think, Gretchen, what this is what is happening in our community. We are so surprised that we are just as mediocre as anybody else. We are flawed like anybody else. Our money did not fix us. Our affluence didn't fix us. But what we found out is we stopped caring and listening and honoring and respecting our neighbor. And we don't know what to do with it. So the church to me is saying, let's go back to square one. And let's, let's, let's start seeing even the person I don't agree with as a person who has value and who knows they may teach me something that I never thought of or give me an opinion that I never thought of. I don't have to change who I am but I know our approach is not working right now and I'm afraid for the next generation I'm so afraid for the next and I as an old man I'm saying Lord please 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 let people my age stop being total idiots because I just think we are flaming idiots right now. And what we're pushing into our children is not gonna serve us well for some of the progress we make. And I don't think we are nowhere near the end, but at least for some of the progress we've made, we are helping roll the ball backwards. So there is an opportunity for the church to actually live out its message. And that may seem, that should be small, but I think we are brought to that place where we now are challenged to live out that message of mending and not tearing. I love that even in my own little mind. We should be menders right now, not part of those who are tearing apart. And when the church loses that insight, it loses its effectiveness. And I think maybe the church is given an opportunity to step back into its identity that it might have shed over some decades and maybe some centuries that, that the creator is giving us this opportunity to reclaim our message. And so I'm, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to help people tear apart, but it's work though, Gretchen. This is the work the church said it was called to be that light in the world to be. And so now you got a flashlight. Do you turn the thing on or, or do you have batteries? You know, the thing is you got the torch, but does it work? And I think people want to know, we, they want to see hope in another way. And we claim that, we have a hope for the world, then I'm going to get out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's so that's actually where I wanted to end is on the hope. In this moment, where would you say is your oh easy your source of hope? Easy. I, I, I believe in 
people who are doing good. I, I just, I get, I get, I, I get a, a smile, or I think around the world, not just in my congregation, but there are so many people that I will discover and hear their contributions in their communities and their and their work in their jobs and their churches, their mosques, whatever, that I am, I am reminded that, that God has placed into many people and they're waking up to their call. They're waking up to their mission. And I, I had a, a honest, I had an invitation this week. I met a lady from India. She is a professor over at CSU and we had this, I, I just told her it was a divine appointment. And, and she said, just thank you for sharing with me. I go, no, 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 no. Because she, even in her academic, she still sees her mission is to, is to human trafficking. And we talk, and in, 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 in my lingo, if she had a given an invitation to join church, I would have joined her church. I was so taken by her, her glow. And I honestly, Gretchen, I say this as we close, I believe there are people around the world, locally, nationally, and, and who are that same lady. And I believe they are part of the change agents and they are part of, uh, of keeping and moving this world in the universe. That's what gives me hope every day. I just see that and it makes me smile. And all of the craziness and the darkness and the, and the screamers, I see people who are, who are touching lives and making differences that the world is going to benefit for, for years, if not centuries to come. The menders. The menders, they are the menders. Yeah. They are mending. And I just, I smile when I see them because I know it's, and not that I call myself one of them, I just know evil is not going to be the last story. It's not going to be the last chapter. But I think evil is going to do a great piece of work as it is doing. But I don't see it being the closing chapter. Thank you, David. Thank you for letting really, me. So here. appreciate our conversation. I could talk for another hour, but we should Thank probably you. close Listen, it Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Foothills. I, that's why I jumped at it. Thank you. I love when people just let us be real. I just want to thank David for the opportunity to hear what he has to say, to, to soak in his experience over his 33 years pastoring at Abyssinian and the way he's become such a leader in the community. I'm grateful for his work, for the work of Abyssinian Christian Church and and just grateful that we got to hear everything he said. There's so many things that have been sticking with me, but one of the pieces that I kind of can't let go of is when he talked about how agreement or seeing the same perspective has now become, is now imperative for relationships. That for some reason, the politics and the stakes and the polarization of our time has made it so we can't connect we no longer see each other as kin, as neighbors, if we don't agree with one another. It reminded me of an article by Dana Boyd, who's a, a researcher and sociologist, where she was talking about the realities of polarization. 
and how when you look at a social graph, which is a map of people's social relationships, that polarization and hate are expressions of a fractured social graph. What she means by that is that when people are not connected to one another in deep and meaningful ways, and when they're not connected across different communities, the results is always polarization and hateful rhetoric. And we see this more and more, right? The, the media landscape is polarized, hyper-polarized. People only listen to one source or one stream that translates into communities that are siloed. She continues that disinformation campaigns are fundamentally projects not to convince people, but to restructure our social relationships. Quote, they, they begin by breaking the frames you already have and then telling you that the people teaching you this are either duped or malaligned. When they tell you that the people who've told you the things that you used to believe are duping you, what it does to our social relationships is that you suddenly break off those connections. You know, recently we've seen this wave of anti-vax, anti-mask protests. And reading Dana's article made me realize that this, that the point of those movements, of the anti-vax, anti-mask movement, isn't just to stop vaccines and stop mask mandates, but it's actually to create a wedge issue that breaks our relationships to one another. That if I can't stand to be around someone who isn't vaccinated or doesn't believe in a mask mandate, that if I see if someone has a different perspective on vaccines or masks, that that would be an, a wedge issue that would actually break my relationships from them. And that the point of this propaganda is to do that. Because once you've separated people from each other, from having relationships with their neighbors, with their family members who may, yes, disagree with them on some really important things, what that does, Dana says, is to radically alter how people see the world. Dana sums this up. To radically alter how people see the world, you have to radically alter the connections to those who might challenge those new frames. And yet to underscore all of this, she says that we can't sustain democracy or work towards a more equitable society if we have a social graph or a social network of the relationships that we have that is siloed and disconnected from one another. As I'm reflecting on the conversation with David, one of the calls for us as the church is to figure out how to be people that are diversifying that social graph, not just connecting with like-minded people, but doing the work of connecting across difference, not only so that we can have our frames challenged and not only for other people to have their points of view challenged, but because by doing so, we actually sustain a democratic culture in which we can see each other as worthy because we're in relationship. As Brene Brown reminds us, it is hard to hate someone up close. I'm going to offer a prayer in a moment just for all that was stirred up within me. But if you have something to share, I'd love you to join our deeper community online. You can go to tinyurl.com slash deeperuu. This is a place for conversation and connection for anyone who's a part of our deeper podcast. And I hope to see you there. All right, I'm going to give you a second just to find a centered space. Sometimes as we're going about our day listening to podcasts, that can mean just whew, taking a breath, briefly closing our eyes, feeling the ground supporting us. Whatever helps our bodies, our minds, and our hearts find a contemplative, a, a centered, a more relaxed way of being. And I'm going to offer this prayer. Spirit of life and love, remind me every time I meet another person 
that there is belovedness, a spark of love, of original blessing, a piece of the truth contained in the cells of their very being. Arrest my judgmental impulses that lead me to believe that those who don't agree with me are the enemy, are not my neighbor, are not my kin. Comfort my wounded heart that fears the stakes are too high for compassion, and instead, let me lead with a curious mind and an open heart, seeking not to be right, but to weave connectedness. May the work of my hands, the words of our mouths, the movement of our collective heart be the work of mending and not tearing. And when we look around and are shocked and surprised at where we find ourselves, because we thought we were better than this, instill in us the truth that this is life. All of it. All of it. And that our work is not to fantasize about another world, but work to build hope with one another. To be the menders. To be the menders. Amen. And blessed be. Next week on the show, I'm so excited that we're going to have a conversation between some midwives about how they see this intersection between rage, grief, and goodness. I've heard it's a powerful conversation. I haven't listened to it, but I really can't wait to share it with all of you. I want to thank everyone who contributes financially to support the work that Foothills does. Your giving makes it possible for us to create content like this, to share this perspective, to put batteries in that flashlight, as David would say. If you aren't a contributor to our work, I invite you to become one. You can go to foothillsuu.org give, and there's many ways to support our work. Setting up a recurring donation helps us know that you value our work and that you want us to continue doing it and that you're going to help us sustain that in the future. We always love to hear from you. You can reach out at deeperpod, D-E-E-P-E-R-P-O-D, at foothillsuu.org. If you have any questions or there's places that you want us to explore, thanks for listening. Oh.